And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is a Project Prospect episode. Tuesday, May 23rd is the date. Derek Van Riper, Chris Welsh, Eno Saris here with you on this episode. We continue celebrating Dodgers Pitching Prospect Week. We'll look at the Monday night outing from Gavin Stone and get Welsh's thoughts on Bobby Miller since Eno and I talked about him a bit on Monday. Big debut coming up on Tuesday night. We've got uh, Patrick Bailey, as teased on yesterday's show, quietly sneaking into the catcher pool. Another injury for George Valera. Jordan Lawler struggling at double A. We'll see if there's anything to be concerned about there. Forrest Whitley, healthy again for now. We'll talk about his chances of possibly breaking through and joining the Astros rotation at some point this season. And we'll go wherever the wind takes us. We have a very laid-back vibe on our Tuesday episodes because, look, anything's on the table. Anything prospect, keeper, dynasty-related is fair game. We begin with the odd outing from Gavin Stone. And it's odd because last night against Atlanta, Gavin Stone had 14 swinging strikes and only had one strikeout. Gave five earned runs, really struggled early in that outing over four innings, 79 pitches in total. What do we make of this? I mean, uh, Welsh, we were looking at some of the, the maps of where he was locating the fastball just a few minutes ago, and it was, it was, it was ugly. It was, it was, it was, it, it was throwing paint all over the canvas. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It looked like just some Jackson like Pollock. little two-year-old just throwing <laughs> paint on there because the whole thing was all over the place. And, you know, I mean, you know, we'll probably break this down here in just a second. But, you know, like he wants to be a big fastball changeup guy. But the early rub here is is no one is afraid of his changeup early on because he's not really throwing it for strikes. His fastball wasn't hitting in big strike counts either. And he had really an absurd number of 22% outside of the zone swing percentage overall on all pitches, which you looked at before the show. And the league average is third. Yeah, and that, of qualified, that would have been the worst in baseball. I mean, it was really bad. And, you know, you can speak to it, but, you know, the first inning was gross. The fastball command was all over the place. And the fastballs, particularly on the, the heat map, looked insane because it was just like, bah, 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 bah. it was high, low, right, left. It was everywhere. He threw more balls than strikes in this. And he's got to make his big damage off of the changeup. But I just don't like, I, I don't know if it's there enough where he's getting anybody fearful, especially in those, um, those two strike counts where that's where you're going to make your big money on the changeup. And he doesn't really seem to be throwing it for strikes early on. He's just throwing it to try to induce swing. So Gavin Stone, I don't think is my big guy. I wasn't ever fully in love with him. I actually like the guy we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But, you know, you were looking at um, a little bit more on him, especially in the two strike counts. And uh, it was pretty it was, it was pretty messy. Yeah, the weirdest thing was that uh, he got to uh, 14 two-strike counts. I mean, he, like you said, he had 14 whiffs. And in those two-strike counts, he threw an equal amount of fastball and changeups. I think it was like eight 
fastballs, six changeups, and three sliders. And uh, he got a swing on two of them. <laughs> uh, one was a foul ball, and the other was, I think, his strikeout. Uh, and that's uh, that's all he did. But if you look at, again, you look at the heat map for his fastball and two strike counts, of course, he's trying to you know, get a swing on uh, on a pitch that's probably outside the zone, but he was nowhere near the zone. Uh, it was way outside the zone. So I did a quick thing here, and I know this is irresponsible because Location Plus does not come online this quickly, but I did want to put him in context how bad his command has been in the early going. Among uh, the pitchers that have had five innings or more, Shintaro Fujinami is worst in baseball in Location Plus among starters. We knew that. Uh, we knew that with our eyes and our eyeballs. He had an 86 location plus. Second is, of course, could you guys, could you guess? Major League starter with this, the worst location plus other than Shintaro Fujinami. Oh, it's got to be a heavy walk. I mean, Flaherty came to mind, but he's been better, but he's, his walk numbers are insane. Um, I don't know. Luis Medina is another A. Oh, that's a good one. Where is Medina? I don't know if he's got an. Maybe he's not qualified. For he is there. there. He is there. He's he's actually a little bit beyond the the guys I'm looking at. Brad Keller <laughs> is number two. Oh, that oh yes, yes. Brad Keller, the guy that I, I fell for because he had uh, at one point shown what two above Boom average sweeper. breakers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you can't land it. No, you can't land it. Gavin Stone is next. Uh, after him is Jose Budo, uh, Yanni Chirinos, Jose Urania. Uh, Madison Bumgarner, Brandon Williamson. It's not a good list to be on. Yeah, it's a depressing list of players. Oh, Ken Waldachuk's there too. Yeah, so it's it's a tough place to be. Um, You know, in terms of stuff plus, uh, you know, I could could see him uh, having a good changeup and the model not quite catching it. It's, uh, It's not liking it, though. And it's uh it's an average slider by stuff plus, but that's actually a hundred is below average for a slider in stuff plus. So he's not calling out to me in any way. I still think that there's a chance that he becomes Tony Gonsolin. I think there's some similarities there. Tony Gonsolin has outperformed some of his uh, numbers in the past, um, and he Tony Gonsolin had league bottom command at one point. Remember when? He couldn't even, he was like off the playoff roster basically uh, because he couldn't find the zone. So maybe there's something here long term, but I'm out on Gavin Stone for this year. All right. It was never really. There. I was going to ask you an interesting one because you, you brought this up, not me, before people yell at me. But beforehand, uh, you had brought up off air uh, Brandon Fott. And I'm very disenchanted <laughs> about Brandon Fott. But I was going to ask you, Brandon Fott or Gavin Stone. But I think. Oh, you've yeah. got your Brand answer. Fought easily. Brand Fott has a league average four seamer and two plus breaking balls by stuff. Plus the location numbers are around average. I think he's coming online. You're starting to see swing strikes. I think you're starting to see the, the positive future for him. I'm I'm definitely still into Brandon Fott. I don't know if I'm uh, super into him this year. And, I, and there has been, I've fallen out of love a little bit with the rookie starting pitcher this year. Yeah. Um just because I think there's just so much to get right to be a good major league starter. You know what I mean? Like you can have all the stuff and not command it, or you can have all the stuff and throw it in the wrong counts. You know what I mean? And like, or you can throw, you can fall in love with one pitch or love your changeup. Like think of Blake smell. 
Blake Snell loved his changeup for so long, and it was bad for him. And he got better when he turfed a pitch that he loved, you know? So, you know, the, the journey to becoming a really good Major League starter, I think, is most often a long one. Grayson Rodriguez might have been tipping his pitches, it turns out. And, uh, you know, so now he's not tipping his pitches. He's got to he's got to figure out what to do with the cutter because it might be a bad pitch, but he loves it. So, like, Grayson Rodriguez is one of the guys who is really, really supposed to land. I mean, everything looked good. You know, prospect, you know, scouts loved him. Everybody loved Grayson Rodriguez, right? Yeah. And I still love Grayson Rodriguez. And I'll put him ahead of most of the guys we talk about today. But I think he does tell you something about how difficult it is to be a rookie Are you star. disenchanted, though, because there's such a wave of them? Like, where a couple maybe have succeeded and, and done well, like Yuri Perez looks good, and maybe we say Tanner Bybee, whatever. But you can't focus on the two or three that have looked good because the sheer number of guys, it's overwhelming of how many we've had and how many are kind of falling it's apart. Due, Do you think it's the, the wave? Injuries, I think. Well, it's due to the injuries, I guess. Maybe there's some of these guys that shouldn't have been pressed into into duty. That it was too soon. But, but there's also just a uh, like the 23 year old starter, uh, 22, 23 year old starter. Does um, it, it had been going out of style before this year? You guys want to play a game? <laughs> okay. Ooh, you want to play a game? <laughs> no, I will lose. <laughs> Since 2018. I've got rookie pitchers on a board oh, right no. here since 2018. So the last five seasons plus this one, minimum 50 innings pitched. There have been 19 pitchers in 50 plus innings as rookies. 19 pitchers have been two war pitchers. So that's you know only a few per year. It's not a ton. So how many? How What's many the guys? Time frame. If you alternate, just going back to 2018. So the last five years, and then if this season technically would count, no one has reached it this season. I'll give you that one as a freebie. 19 pitchers have been two war pitchers, according to Fangraphs, as rookies. Shane McClanahan? Shane McClanahan, he's in there. He's in the top 10. Okay. I, I think that's 2021. That's a recent hit. Okay, I got Part one, so I'm happy. Into so the now Eno's got a match, because I didn't think you, I was going to get al- one. Yeah. But yeah, go back and forth. We'll alternate. Dylan Cease? Dylan Cease as a rookie? No. no. Didn't do it as a rookie. So one so, strike for Eno. Okay. What, when was 2018? 2018. Yep. Uh, Zach Allen? Zach Allen, narrow miss, 1.6 war. But he 15 starts, 80 innings with 10.8 Ks per nine, 281 ERA. That played for fantasy purposes. So it didn't work for war, but it was a hit as far as a rookie pitcher pickup. Okay. So one strike Julio each. Urias. Uh, rookie back. year too far back and kid gloves so that's another uh, strike okay i you know what i need to do i need to look at names real quick okay so you don't have to go real far oh, you don't have to go real far back here uh there's none well if he's looking at names i'm looking at yeah I, well i just need to visually see names how about uh oh george kirby <laughs> yeah george kirby that's a big hit 130 innings Strike up per inning, good walk rate, 339 ERA. Spencer Strider had his rookie eligibility. Spencer Strider tied for the tied for the best rookie season we've seen since 2018 in terms of war. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Would have been number one, but the innings count was low. We're still going here. Okay. Uh, yep. You know, still got two. You got one strike. Sandy Alcantara? Yep. Sandy Alcantara is a hit. Okay. Low K rate, but 197 and a third inning since his rookie season. What if he'd actually won some games, too, from a, a Roto perspective? Yikes. Mm. 
Neato. Neato. Logan Webb. Logan. It's the quietest Webb. one. Logan Webb. No. no. Oh. Damn. So wait, Logan if Webb I get one right no. here, he do I win the game? Because he's on three strikes. You win the game. Yep. Okay, so there's a lot of pressure on this one. Um, to send him home. Send him. Send him home. home with the Lakers. Ooh, I got a couple options I'm looking at here, and we've gone through them. All right, rookie year, final answer. I will go with Alec Manoa. Yes, oh, just made it exactly right. to war. Okay, remember when he was really good? That was fun. <laughs> um, so some other notable ones: Trevor Rogers tied with Strider. His rookie season was fantastic back wow, in 2021. Yeah. Mike Soroka. Was third Walker Bueller is up there. Yeah, when I was looking at names, I was like, they're not all here. They're definitely weren't. Because I was yeah. looking just at this leaders for this year, and I'm like, no, they're not all on this list. No, so, so not all of them stuck with it. Luis Garcia, uh, John Means actually snuck on this list. Means. Volume's a big part of the war part of this. Shane Bieber, yeah, Spencer Turnbull, Chris Paddock, Brad Keller's. Bieber's actually been on a here. rookie since 18, and Urias wasn't. I think it's an innings thing. Huh. Weird. Uh, Jack Flaherty made the list. In my head, Bieber is older than you. Me, me too. I'm 100 with you. And my, my mind, Bieber's been around since like 15. So yeah, I know. It's Reed Detmers made the list. Logan Gilbert, uh, Joe Ryan last oh, season. Oh man! Instead of Logan Webb, I was I was debating the Logans. I, was, I thought Gilbert was like a one six or something his first year. Yeah. So it. I think we have had enough recent success from rookie pitchers, and especially having a massive hit last year with Strider having a pretty big hit two years ago with McClanahan, with those two guys being treated the way they were in drafts this past season, perhaps that has made us all more aggressive towards rookie pitching. But I also think there's a bigger conversation with rookie pitching. It seems like because of all the tools teams have now to develop pitching and and monitor pitching, it's easier to see when a pitcher is ready. It's easier to know if they have an arsenal that will get big league hitters out so they can move a little faster and I think that gives us more confidence that they can have success right away, even if it shouldn't, or even if it gives us more confidence than we should have. I think that's all part of the equation here. So do you think, do you think we're the yeah, victims of I suppose it hasn't bias? all been that bad. I mean, in terms of this year, even uh, among the different uh, uh, big bid rookies, uh, Hunter Brown has to be a success story. Uh, we saw that one coming. I've ranked him in the top 40, I think, or top 50. Uh, Bryce Miller so far, although the strikeout rate and the secondaries, you know, there's something to be said that he kind of looks like an all fastball guy right now, but, uh, Tanner Bybee, although, you know, there too, the strikeout rate's not that good and the, it hasn't been as good since the beginning. I kind of, I still like Logan Allen better than Tanner Bybee. I'm maybe alone on that one, but, uh, so Logan Allen is a win. Taj Bradley, I think still consider is still a win. Uh, so that's a lot of wins for rookie pitchers, I guess. But then the volume yeah. kind of brings it down. That's what I was talking about. It's like, it's actually a lot of pretty solid wins, but then you think about the sheer amount of guys that have come up and the expectations. And I feel like that's what might be muddying the waters of, you know, being disenchanted with some of the rookie pitchers. Like, oh man, there's so many that are failing. It's like, well, there's just so many more. And there's a lot that are doing yeah. really well and contributing to fantasy teams right now. Yeah, if you start looking at the lower number ones, like the the, the ten, you know, five and ten, you've got Grove there. Um, you know, I think uh, Schuster, Dre Jameson, Dylan Dodd. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's been some uh, some misses down there. 
And then there's this Grayson Rodriguez, the only guy with like 40 innings where you're just like, uh, I see an 11K9, a passable walk rate, and a 6 ERA. Come on. <laughs> this can't be. This is not Grayson Rodriguez. I'm holding. Home runs, mainly. Yeah. Frustrating. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. But yeah, I, I think I'm still in on rookie pitchers. Uh, I'm not going to learn my lesson yet. Maybe maybe Eno's right to back off them a little bit. I do think the Bobby Miller debut on Tuesday is going to pull some skeptics back in. Yep, he is electric. I think second best stuff. In I was going to say he actually might be the one to the, the next guy to be added to this group of success stories. Hopefully, it's a rough matchup. Uh, seeing Gavin Stone get lit up, but you know Bobby Miller has got the stuff to potentially be the next, you know, name that we are going to put into the hopefully the success stories and I think it's a pretty de- especially if you look at like what we just broke down with Gavin Stone and you know com- command at this stage this is going to be a massive issue whether the stuff and the fastball and the changeup and how he uses them get better if he's not going to be able to command those pitches regardless if he has better stuff than Bobby Miller He's going to be out. He has a much higher likelihood at this point, I would say, regardless of even seeing Bobby Miller pitch right now, of losing that long term Dustin May spot if Bobby Miller can just be the guy that he has been kind of on paper with the big stuff plus numbers. And I believe you just said it, you know, he's number two in stuff plus in the minors right now. Yeah, it doesn't come without a little bit of an asterisk, which is that, you know, his uh, fan graphs uh, command grade is 40-45. His location plus in 250 AAA pitches is a 94. That's fairly low. I mean, we were talking about uh, 89s uh, when we were talking about uh, Stone. Um, So it's better than that. But 94... Uh, just to give you some other high stuff guys and their location numbers in the minors, Taj Bradley had a 90 when he was working on his fastball. Uh, so that's uh, a little bit of the concern with Taj Bradley. Grayson Rodriguez had a 93 in the minors. Um, and uh, Tanner Bybee had a 97 uh, location plus. And then the, the the veterans that were down there for rehab, Luis Severino, 106 location plus. Uh, Tyler Glass now, 103 location plus. So um, there is uh, something to be said for uh, command counting and the fact that, you know, I have three names on this minor league stuff plus uh, list that are reaching out to me that are new to the list or or interesting to people. Bobby Miller, number two. A.J. Smith-Shalver is uh, number nine on this list now. 
And then a new entry, Will Warren uh, from the Yankees, uh, entered the top 20. All of them uh, are hot names in fantasy baseball right now, I think, or at least I'm trying to make Will Warren hot, give him some heat. Uh, They're all 93, 94 location plus. So if they succeed or don't succeed, there's still uh, an element of command mattering for these guys. Um, and, uh, the one thing with Bob Miller with the stuff so good like that, I think he can, he's the kind of guy who can target the middle of the zone and let his stuff eat and, uh, and still have success. His last so. start, by the way, I pulled it up. Uh, I don't know if you guys looked at this recently, but his last start was on the 17th in AAA and he was touching 101. He did 101.2, averaging 99. Yeah, they told him to throw 100, not 102. <laughs> 101.2, <laughs> average 99 and a half. He was pretty steady, 89% fastball curveball. And his slider, though, was uh, you know getting into the mix. Whiff percentage wasn't like the greatest. CSW percentage wasn't the greatest. But he's got really big spin. He's got a big powering fastball that you know major leaguers are going to pull out their shoes and try to swing through. And I actually think as long as he has solid command in this uh, first start, he's got a real decent shot to pile up some strikeouts and get some guys whiffing because he's going to just try to pump this fastball. And then in two strike counts, you know, he can hit him with the slider, which he throws around 10% of the time or whatever. So uh, I'm, I'm encouraged about Bobby. I've been always been a big Bobby Miller fan. I liked him more than any of the Dodger guys for quite some time. And don't you, th- yeah, don't you think that there's an opportunity here for to- for him too? Yeah, well, uh, we were talking off air that like the Julio Urias situation gets Bobby Miller to literally like piggyback days with Gavin Stone, and I think this is a pure audition period. Like I don't, even though yeah, they said like Gavin Stone's going to get starts, I don't think that's guaranteed. I think over these next two three starts. Bobby Miller has as much of a chance as Gavin Stone to take over that long-term role if if and when Urias comes back and they have to send one down. I don't know. I kind of lean that I think uh, I think at the end of the day, I think it's Stone that is going to go away. That's yeah. my gut. I mean, you know, Bobby Miller can get lit up for 18 runs or whatever, but I think I think he's going to find... Some, that would be amazing if they committed to him too, for that many runs. Um, but I think Bobby Miller is going to find some good success. I think that, pow, I think that power fastball is going to play, and there's some pretty big spin on his secondaries that I think he's going to get some whiffs in that first game. So people think, who listen to more than one podcast that I'm on might remember on the 3-0 show this year, I made the bold prediction that the Dodgers would narrowly miss the playoffs. And... I looked at a few things and I said they're relying a lot on the young guys. You know, if Miguel Vargas and James Altman aren't very good, if Max Muncy's not past Muncy, they're going to have problems. And if the young pitching doesn't come well, through, the they're just not going to be that same questions. team. They've ticked all the boxes so far. It is a bold prediction that has gone very flat so far. But hey, time's still on my side. There's still there's still a lot of time for chaos to reign in the league. I don't want chaos. I just know it's coming anyway. I think the problem I have with the Dodgers rotation. It's a good thing, I think, in this case. Stone and Miller could both stay in the rotation if Tony Gonsolin gets hurt again, or if Noah Syndergaard is still not pitching very well, or if Kershaw has his usual three to four week stint on the IL. Like any and all of those things could open the door for both if they perform. Yeah. The problem that they have is that they pitch for the Dodgers. The Dodgers have other guys they can turn to if they don't like what they're getting from Stone and Miller. They can just keep going into the cupboard. I, I think the 
they have that sort of depth. They've and Emmett Sheehan. That that's depth. I mean, I've I've been trying to preach about mm-hmm. Emmett Sheehan. That's the next guy who kind of lives in a similar uh, Bobby Miller world. It's a big power fastball. Uh, one of the top K guys in the entire league. He pitched in the AFL. Was probably one of the most consistent best pitchers in the Arizona Fall League last year. Even though he's at Double A, he's had the experience. They built him up, and he's had he's had some walk issues. All these guys have this big like power stuff. These big power pitches that are having walk issues, but. Um, no Dodgers pitcher has been a bigger strikeout option than Emmett Sheehan, and I think he's ready. So to your point, like if one of these guys doesn't work out, Emmett Sheehan's going to get some run at some point this year, and he's a guy who's been putting up 10 strikeouts left and right, uh, but he did have a five-walk game. But yeah, I agree with that. Like Syndergaard might be a reason why two rookies can take over a rotation spot, but none of these guys are guaranteed just because they're here to hold on to it because you do have other pitchers that are in the wings, Emmett Sheehan, in my mind, being the next guy. Kind of a never-ending competition for the Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that you can't uh, say about the Yankees that, you know, uh, in opposition is that they definitely haven't uh, had that same depth of starting pitcher, you know, at their disposal. And right now, uh, it looks like they're fielding uh, an all right uh, front five with Severino coming back, uh, Rodon sometime coming back he's with the team now actually they just said they announced today he like has joined the team in the this in process so that's a good sign to continue his rehab though so that's yeah also weird uh but any case they, they could get close to the point where they're pushing clark schmidt down to a number six um and and being fully healthy however we also know that you know like you just said about the dodgers their injuries are always there for them. You know, Herman uh, could get injured or Rodon could not come back from this back thing. Uh, there's there's definitely that. And I think beyond Clark Schmidt, I, I have not uh, been in love with Brito. And so I, that's why I wanted to bring up Will Warren because now he's at AAA. He's got the kind of Hayden Wesnensky uh, 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 selection of pitches where it's a sinker, sweeper, gyro slider. Um, and I think, uh, maybe a little bit of the same sort of maybe command issues that Wesnensky that maybe got him sent down, uh, but also kind of an interesting player because he is definitely a product of the Yankees player development philosophy. He's just another Wesnensky and, uh, you know, Warren, uh, could be jumping ahead of Brito, Tully, Vasquez, that's their depth. So, Right now, Will Warren might be the number seven in New York, and sevens get innings. So I just wanted to throw him out there as a as a I like that. We actually had a question about Hayden Wisniewski from Aaron, and the subject line was Holden Wisniewski. It was a question about whether or not Hayden Wisniewski <laughs> should be stashed while he's at AAA. It was a pretty bumpy start to the season. The K rate dipped from where it was last year, right? In the brief time we saw Hayden Wesneski last season, 25% K rate, good control, pretty good swinging strike rate underneath the K rate too. So it, it made some sense that you could buy in and possibly get a, a pretty good back-end starting pitcher with Ks. I get the sense they will need him again in Chicago, so you'll you'll get innings again later. But the bigger question is, can he figure it out? Because want what innings? I saw... Yeah, do you want those innings? The last time I looked, the four-seamer was getting hammered. Hayden Wesneski's fastball was just getting obliterated by opposing hitters. And it's not good. And that I seems mean, like a huge problem. plus fastball, yeah. I mean, 
I think his sinker is is good. I think that with the the problem is uh, he's sinker, cutter, sl- a sweeper, um, and lefties. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can't be a one pitch guy against lefties. So he's trying to be fastball cutter against lefties, and that ain't working. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if he just needs to, you know, just embrace the sinker, find some places he can stick the sinker or, uh, embrace the change or be cutter change against lefties. Uh, but he needs to find, uh, something out against lefties. I'm saying all this without looking at his splits because, you know, sometimes splits can tell a lie, but yeah, 340 Woba. Uh, no, why did that just change in front of my eyes that was very strange 433 woba against lefties 285 against righties Mm. i mean that's everything he needs to find like lefties hit this year 325 366 662 against him but as much as you want to say well don't hold him that's terrible righties hit 234 277 377 against him so i I still think he's kind of like a, a a He's like a, a a stroke of genius away from being a good pitcher. You know what I mean? Like there's just there's something he just need to figure something out against. It's left. funny you say that. I was, I was thinking of like how the Rays sent down Taj Bradley, and they're like, you need to stop throwing the curveball, and your cutter percentage needs to go down. A really good organization would probably be like, okay, so you'll never ever throw your four seam ever again. This will <laughs> we're gonna com- to pretend you don't own this pitch anymore. And then let's yeah. start from there. That'd be and I, I wanted to take a look real quick. Um, our lovely foray into uh, baseball savant and trying to quickly get to something I, I couldn't even get to it. I wanted to get to see his last start. Uh, I must be on the wrong day. I wanted to see if the pitch usage has changed because you're right. When you look at him, that I mean, the fastball heat zone too is like absurdly ridiculous. It should just go back to sinker. It's and then the I mean the sweeper was the second most. Uh, thrown pitch goes sinker sweeper cutter with the occasional changeup, and I was curious, but of course I can't get to it because uh, I must have picked a wrong day. He's, he's cut his forcing usage, but he's still using it twenty five percent overall. And when you look at lefties, it's the, that's the problem. He's using it twenty five percent against lefties. He can't cut it against lefties, and he's throwing the sweeper to lefties because he just doesn't have any other pitches. You know, like you can't just throw a cutter over and over again. So, uh, but if you look at his last few games, the combined uses of the cutter and change is the most he's had against lefties. Uh, and I bet you, I would, that's what I would do if I sent him down. I'd say, Hey, how about cutter change against lefties with the occasional back foot sweeper? Yeah. And I've been trying that's, to, can, is that, can that get you through some lefties? Yeah. And yeah. let's say, I think I finally got it. Cause it looks like they played a double header on the 20th. Here we go. Okay. We got it. So here is, okay. So we have an interesting development, uh, in his last start, his four-seam fastball was the third most used pitch instead of being the yeah. number one most used pitch. He was 31% sweeper, 27% sinker, 26% uh, four-seam with a 9% cutter on it. And uh, his fastball actually had a 57% whiff rate in that game, maybe because of the different usage. 32% whiff rate, 28% CSW. Uh, He actually had five more called strikes. He had a 43% CSW on his four-seam fastball. So it's not going anywhere, especially when those minor league numbers are there. But maybe the usage of it is going to help because it was overwhelmingly the top pitch. two-strike thing or like just you have to throw it outside of the zone up. You know what I mean? Like never throw it in the zone. 
Yeah. So that might be encouraging. That might be something encouraging to see is that they're embracing that that sinker usage is the thing that jumps out here because that was lower and it's more of a three pitch mix, not heavily relying on the the four seam. And maybe that's going to make it more effective. So, you know, I mean, it's triple A, but you could maybe be optimistic. And generally, the thing that I like about him is, you know, a bunch of different pitches, some that have that are really good you know, and then some that aren't. And so he needs to kind of sort through them and figure out what he can do with them, you know? Yeah. 16% sinker on the year, 26% in the minors. So it's a 10% um, increase usage of the sinker since he's been sent down. So maybe that will unlock. So generally someone you still believe in, if you're in a situation where you have guys giving you innings right now and you need innings and Aaron's particular question was, you know, Ryan Nelson, Luis Ortiz, Michael Lorenzen, who you'd picked well, up for that two-step. I love Luis Ortiz. So, you know, if I could trade some upside in the big leagues for some upside in the minor leagues, I'm going to take the upside. What do you do leagues. with Luis Ortiz? Right. His his last, the, this last start was incredible. The start before that, he looked so bad. It was unbelievable. That pitch could not, he could not throw a strike. He was walking everybody. He's just so inconsistent. It drives me bonkers, but I have a, I have a theories about him. So, you know, one of the things he struggles with is separating his two seam and his four seam. And I think that is actually his command issue, because if you think about it, if you were trying to replicate a fastball and uh, sometimes it comes out as a four seam, sometimes it comes out as a two seam, right? Like you're going to miss, you're going to miss your spots and you're going to walk people. And so uh, I'd be tempted if I coached him to wonder if he should like really almost like turf one of the fastballs and just have one fastball that he can repeat over and over again. And he can at least know where to put them. Um, of course, everybody wants someone to have a four seam and a two seam. So you can throw the four seam to lefties and the two seam to righties and you know, that sort of deal. But um, if, if the end goal is for him to be able to command the pitches and not do any of them start before last, then I think maybe it's almost like the switch hitter thing. It's like, okay, switch hitting is not working. You know, having two fastballs not working. Let's have one fastball that you can actually command because otherwise I just, I, I the breaking ball I love. I think the changeup looks good. The velo is really good. So, you know, if I could make that choice right now, I would do it just because they both have a, a fair amount of upside and one's in the mix. And why big wouldn't they right do now. that? Why why is there not why is there not a look at and and deciphering this? And is it would you want to change something like that in season for a guy like this at the majors? Well, I think he's still in the developmental phase. You know what I mean? So, like, if you're developing him, then you want him to, you want to ideate on the best possible outcome for him, which is you have a four seam and a sinker. Um, But uh, if, if the four seam, if you just keep flogging that four seam and it's, and it's not working and and they're just uh, blending together, um, let me see if I can find a, a good way to do this horizontal movement. Um, <clears throat> no, that's not it. Vertical movement, maybe. Uh, when you watch him, it's it's definitely one of those arsenals. You're like, this guy should get a lot more strikeouts. Yeah. It's there. Like you can see the vertical movement the is dropping on his four seam, and that's it's getting closer to the sinker. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, the, so there is less separation between the two pitches, which might also on be maybe he's hammering a little bit more too, and he's losing command with the two seam or the sinker. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I just think that there's something there where uh, 
it's it has to do with fastball command. If you're it's like when you watch him, you're like, oh, these these pitches are all amazing. Why don't you get more whiffs? I think it has to do with getting ahead to get those whiffs. You know. Yeah. So at the end of the day, though, circling back, Luis Ortiz, a better um, project to to buy in on than holding a Hayden Wisniewski for when he comes back up. Yeah, if that's the choice at your disposal. That your disposal, then yeah, that's I'm doing that. Yeah. But if you're if you're talking about like I'm in a deep keeper league, should I just like drop him? Like I'd rather I'd rather hold uh, Wesnetsky. So, yeah, but if you if you're at all like about this year, then I think it's about the know. guy that's helping you now. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you're playing long term, Wesnetsky over Ryan Nelson. Me, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think so. Okay, well, that's probably a sweep. Then I, I think I'm also on the Wesnetsky side. It's close. So it really depends on how badly you need the innings in the short term. And Nelson could be in danger of, of going down for a little bit. That's very much in the range of outcomes for him. Big start for him Tuesday night coming up on the road against the Phillies as they get a little healthier in that group. It's also it's also blah for Nelson, you know? And I think the fastball sometimes is good and sometimes is bad. And then if you just look at Nelson's, uh, you know, what he's done so far this year, it's, it's like all schedule. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, like you're like, oh, he's been better recently. Well, yeah, uh, he went to Oakland. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he went to Washington. That was pretty good. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm terrified of throwing Ryan Nelson in, in like a good matchup for the hitters, you know, like a, in a tough matchup. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, that's where I've been for a while. That Oakland spot was the rare, I feel good about this, uh, opportunity for Ryan Nelson. Thanks a lot for that question, Aaron. Let's talk about Forrest Whitley for a moment. The Astros are having some issues in the back of their rotation. I say this on... <laughs> the eve of a Brandon Bielek start against the Brewers on Wednesday that'll probably make me tear some hair out. Uh, Bielek is that number five starter right now. J.P. France has a spot in the rotation. Lance McCullers still several weeks away. I think I saw July as a timetable for him. 
Whitley is, for me, a pretty harsh lesson in how it can go wrong for a very, very good pitching prospect. And there are plenty of people that had Whitley as the number one pitching prospect in baseball. It was a deep arsenal with premium velocity and a great organization. Everything you could possibly want, right? He's 6'7", he's 240, he's got five pitches. What could possibly go wrong? Well, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Tommy John surgery, uh, just... All sorts of stuff it along the way. It doesn't look like he's gotten it back. I mean, you used to have whiff rates that are almost 50% higher than ones he's shown. He, he, yeah, he's tweaked uh, stuff. I remember James Anderson and I, you know, the first time Forrest Whitley was there, we were watching him and it was at uh, Scottsdale Stadium and we were like, standing on the concourse and just watching him blow 97 by guys. And we're like, this is the best guy ever. And then he had a suspension issue, an injury issue. Uh, he came back to the Arizona Fall League. He lost command of pitches. He was trying to reestablish ways to pitch in the Arizona Fall League. More injuries, inconsistencies. It's everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it's still not right in the minors. So that's the that's the weird thing about this I situation. Don't... It's still not good. His ERA's inflated. His walk rate's almost five. Uh, there's no like underlying like, hey, XFIP is better. It's like thought, it's four or five. It's not good. I thought he used to be like a good four seam guy. I'm looking at his stuff plus numbers and he's a sinker curve guy now. Yeah, but that, I think that was part of like he he altered his arm angle in the Arizona Fall League a couple years ago oh, because he no. wasn't he was because he was he was just pumping four seams. And I don't think he I don't think he could throw it anymore. He lost complete command because I remember watching oh, some spring no. starts where that fastball was just everywhere. So this was probably I don't recall, you know, when in, any type of change like this happened. But, you know, he probably was able to um, bully in more command of a sinker than he was in a four seam, but that's also equating to like lower strikeout numbers. His walk rates are still high. I just, I want to believe, but the only thing I, I believe Forrest Whitley is going to be able to do is be a bullpen arm. I just think this is like Andrew Miller over again. We just need to, maybe he can be a dominant one inning guy, but the team has not made the commitment because he can still throw hard. It's just second time through the order. I think you're done. And uh, I, I want to believe because we all believed for so long and we, we saw Mackenzie Gore go through like two or three years of absolute garbage, look like one of the worst pitchers and find it. But we're like four or five years into this now. Like this is a long time ago when Forrest Whitley was the top guy. And there's really no signs of life except what he's at triple a and there's an opportunity out there yet. He's still not getting the opportunity. JP France, Brian Bielek, those are the guys getting the opportunity because I don't think they believe he can go five. I'm surprised the change hasn't happened into a bullpen arm yet, but uh, I don't know what the relative changes are with Forrest Whitley. I would love for him to succeed and be cool again, but I don't think it's happening. Yeah, I mean, they've had so much success with you know relievers that have had flaws, but they've become dominant. Maybe that's the path for him and couple more years pass and something else changes but I, I kept looking at him and thinking is he a good keeper in dynasty stash given what's happening right now the usage triple a has been really frustrating i know he hasn't thrown that many innings in recent years because of all those injuries and the suspension that you mentioned but it's all threes and four and change so far yeah four and two thirds is the most he's pitched i mean just think about also just like how long this guy's been around he's all he's he's locking up to 26 here soon he's had injuries and stuff Yet he's still not going five innings. He's not going five. Like, like this, there's no comp here. But just want to point out, like Mason Miller had less minor league innings in his career and made it to the majors than 
uh, are just about the same innings that Forrest Whitley has just this year, and he still can't get there. I mean, it's just a it's it's a mess. It's a mess, and I think the Ast- I think the Astros are telling us about Forrest Whitley. Everything that had gone through, you'd give this guy a chance if he was something. I don't know mm-hmm. that they can push themselves into it. They haven't fixed anything. And um, I just don't, I don't know the format where you keep Forrest Whitley. You could name me off formats and I'd probably be like, no, no, and no. <laughs> like I, I have Elvin Rodriguez in Devil's Rejects, which is a 20 team, uh, like 40 man rosters, I think. It's deep leagues, yeah. Yeah, real deep. And I'm not dropping Elvin Rodriguez for Forrest Whitley. I agree. Whitley. Is Whitley a free agent in that league? I don't even. I'm not. I don't know if I'm like running to check. Elvin did just go on the IL, by the way, in the minor. Just but I think. I think it's only a seven, seven day or something. But just pointing. Out. There's something going on in Houston. I, I don't know that it's uh, like a slowing of the player development machine that's over there, but I would say that they've cleaned the cupboard out so thoroughly. There's nothing left in terms of arms. I'm looking at the Fangraphs 2022 update for the for the uh, for Houston. And I've and I've just clicked through all of the pitchers, the the starting pitchers in the top twenty. Uh, so by the time you get to the end of the top twenty, you're talking about thirty five future value. Those are not even considered usually to be future starters. So I looked in their top twenty, and the average ERA of their top twenty of starters in their top twenty prospects, other than Hunter Brown, is like a six. So it's not. I mean, I guess it could just be Whitley, or it just could be that they've kind of they've graduated everybody <laughs> yeah and they didn't replenish uh they they now i will say they do have a guy who's interesting let me look at his numbers before i start spouting out how awesome it is yeah uh andrew taylor who they just drafted last year in the competitive round six and a half uh, three and a half era 38 strikeouts and 27 innings he's in low a ball um i've got him on my right they said the a ball guys like michael Knorr, who was drafted in 2022 in the third round uh, you know, is in their top twenty, and he's got a he's got sort of eye popping ish uh, strikeout rates, thirty eight percent. Yeah, uh, but he's an able. But they're all far, yeah, so. exactly. They're all far away. They didn't do the replenishment uh, along the way, or or they just didn't pull a Royals where they're like, okay, screw it, like let's just get like seven guys that are in you know the high A, double A that can move quickly. Uh, they just they've also lost picks. They didn't have a whole bunch of picks and. Oh, and they got in trouble. Yeah, they got in trouble. And then, uh, you know, they, they the hitting development is on a positive side because Drew Gilbert looks like one of the bigger steals from last year's draft and first-year player drafts who's already up at double-A, and he could start contributing, I think, tomorrow. I mean, Jose Altuve went out of his way after a rehab stint to say how impressive Drew Gilbert is and that he's ready. He's ready to come up. And they got a kid, Ryan nice. Clifford, who also out of that draft. So I think they did a really good job as far as the hitting goes, but... Yeah, they, they don't have a new, fresh set of guys that can help this year, next year on both sides. And it seems to be a little bit more weighted towards hitting than it is pitching. And, you know, what do you do? They don't make trades to bring in new pitching prospects. They, it's just not been part of their um, their algorithm lately. So it, it puts them in a bind where they're sitting here being like, oh, my God, we have Forrest Whitley and we can't do anything with him because this is it. This yeah. is our only option. Yeah, there's two names at double A, just leaderboard surfing that have K minus BB percentages over twenty, Rhett Kuba and Colton Gordon, but they're not they're not guys they're like that you're gonna leaders. find on prospect list. I, I think they're using both as starters, at least Kuba mostly as a starter so far, but they're twenty three and twenty four years old. They're not you know, they're not young guys. So if they come through and end up being quality pitchers for them, then there's some potential development wins there. But I think you guys are right. I think it's 
it's a wave that's a little ways away for that next group of Houston pitchers. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do uh, if they have more injury problems before McCullers gets back, especially because they're starting to thin out pretty good as far as those major league options. We really haven't seen that happen to them. Are we seeing a wave in San Francisco? Is there is there a little mini wave? Is there like a oh a are little, you? Are I'm segueing. You're talking about the, the Casey Schmidt plus now Patrick <laughs> Bailey. I mean, Patrick Bailey. Uh, Harrison's on the way. Harrison Luis might be Matos there soon. is playing well again, isn't he? Matos has been, he got a promotion up to AAA. He was one of the best bat, one of the most surprisingly great bats in the AFL this past year uh, that just keeps moving up. And pretty incredible too, because I have a, I have a, Vivid memory of that, whatever it was, 2018, I guess it's not that vivid because I don't remember the year, but uh, that year of rookie ball where, you know, it was like Corbin Carroll and CJ Abrams, but the Giants team had Luis Matos, Marco Luciano, and Jairo Pameras, three big prospects all on their rookie ball team. And guess what? Luis Matos is going to beat them all. He And I would have never mm-hmm. thought that. He's the guy that I think actually came this later. Is after having a 74 WRC plus last year in April. Yeah, he had right. big struggles. He's made big improvements. Yeah, so there's a mini wave, at least. The development is pushing the guys that are going to be ready. Casey Schmidt, Kyle Harrison will be there. Um, on the Patrick Bailey front, you know, the minute Patrick Bailey got drafted, I instantly saw, oh, Joey Bart is going to at best be a first baseman for this team. And Patrick Bailey will be their catcher for the future because defensively that's where his home is. He's a stud stud defensive uh, catcher. Great framer. There's a couple videos out there that are already shown some of his really good framing, but fantasy wise, I'm not really in fantasy wise, pulled a nice Homer, um, but he's hitting under 200. Doesn't strike out a bunch. I think he's just fine. He's a way better real life player than I think fantasy player. Well, I think at catcher, it's pretty interesting because sometimes that works for us. We play in so many two catcher leagues that being the better real life player might mean you get two thirds of the playing time. time, And as long as you offer something either in in terms of not being a liability and average or you can pop 10 or 12 or 15 homers, that's usually good enough for a second catcher spot. So uh, this is pretty interesting. I remember the night they drafted Patrick Bailey (laughs) and they'll be. MLB Network, of course, uh, trying to make the the MLB draft like the NFL draft. Said, how are they going to make all the catchers work? Yeah. They, they got Buster Posey and <laughs> they got Joey Bart and now Patrick Bailey. And it's like, well, time sort of answers those questions in baseball. Um, obviously, Buster Posey retired, and we've learned a lot more about Joey Bart. And yeah, and, and you got Universal DH. So <laughs> all of those things have occurred just in the little bit of time since they drafted Bailey. Uh, but I think when the catcher pool has been kind of rough this year in redraft. There hasn't been a lot of value that surfaced. There have been a couple of younger guys that have underperformed in single catcher leagues that have left people scrambling unexpectedly. And I think, you know, looking at the the tools and the grades and everything on Bailey, like I, yeah, I'm, I'm like calmly saying it's more of a second catcher in a 15 team league sort of profile. It's not a must go get in your 10 team, one catcher league sort of thing, but yeah, if you think they're going to kind of look more to the future, guys like Bailey and Schmidt are going to play a ton for this Giants team. Yeah, also there's like a, there's a that catching renaissance we talked about. I talked about this a lot over the last like two years, where 
there is this, uh, again, just keeping with the theme, the, the wave of these catching prospects that were ranking so high and that they were starting to, they're starting to come up to the majors. Well, this is happening. So, you know, I kind of almost like a tiny bit disagree, like with the catching sentiment of what you said, like catching. Yeah, it hasn't been maybe magnificent, but I do feel like there has been value. You know, Gabriel Moreno has jumped way up. Jonah Heim has been a huge advantage. Sean Murphy. I mean, like the, the, I don't, I hate in fantasy and everyone knows about me. I hate paying up for catcher. I think it's silly. I want to play in the middle and the middle is where the payoff comes. But to your point, it had, did fall off in those two catcher leagues on that later ladder second catcher. But there are a lot of rookies that are going to pop up. So Patrick Bailey's, I think, cool right now. But you know, you are going to get the Kevin Paradas that are coming soon, offensive base catcher Diego Cartaya, uh, Dalton rushing with the Dodgers, and uh, Henry Davis. You know, Henry Davis will, should qualify when he comes up as a primary catcher. So there's a lot of these guys that are going to improve the pool, which will be nice. I just don't know if Patrick Bailey's offense is going to be able to be on par with all those names I just talked about. I think it's behind every single one of those. And those are just like some of the top 100 catchers. Yeah, we're already seeing Francisco Alvarez, so much raw power in that profile. You would look at his offensive ceiling compared to Bailey's. There's a pretty big difference favoring Alvarez there. We've talked about Andy Rodriguez, his versatility. You know, both he and Davis could be on the same team together and Rodriguez can play all over. We saw Logan O'Hoppy for a little while before that injury. It looked like he was going to have a really nice campaign. At least was putting the, the early pieces together for that. I hope we see Bo Naylor soon. I know he's having issues controlling the running game, according to the Guardians. That's the big problem right now. I have no idea why they can't find a way to. They brought make him up for like a day and a then they sent offense. him back down. They're like, he can They're awful. They brought him up for a doubleheader <laughs> and their, their lineup is horrendous. How do you not have some room for Bo Naylor to play? Sometimes that just blows my mind. Uh, but there is a Guardians player that just went back on the minor league IL that I think is kind of interesting. And it's George Valera because he's been very young for the level everywhere he's played. There's plenty of raw power. Certainly there are some questions about swing and miss. But well, should we hit the point where George Valera's become a little bit underrated in part because of time lost to injuries? Um, That's a good question. I'm a difficult person to answer that because I, I have like a long history with Valera from rookie ball and you know amount of time I spent with him and interviews and talking with him and I've always been a big fan so like to 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 me ironically I'd actually say like he's not really underrated in that it's actually more frustrating than anything else that this is like the second or third time this has happened this year it has been consistent he actually might be one of the most injury prone minor leaguers that I've ever seen and the kid is only 22 years old but to your point I think so many people have kind of fallen off of the George Valera train because guys like me pushed him up so high and he has had those struggles and he's had batting average struggles that I do think he's someone who should be paid attention to in some of those deeper leagues where people might have let go of him because what are the encouraging things? His strikeout rate in just a few of the games that he came up this year dropped. He's continued to always walk. The problem is, is the quality of contact has never been there. But the guy has a Robinson Cano-like swing that everyone will fall in love with. He's got easy 20-plus power. He can run a bit, but he's going to fill out where he's going to be more of a middle-of-the-order hitter than he is going to ever steal. The problem is, is he's had like a ha- he's had multiple like Hammett bone and wrist injuries that are keeping him off that I do think those are kind of 
making him uh, the, the prospect. He's going to have like a prospect rebound at some point where everyone's going to be like, holy crap, like George Valera is here and he's doing something. The problem is, is yeah, like you said, the injuries have kept him from having like a full season to really get stuff together. I would say he's a can. I thought he was a candidate to come up to the majors this year, but uh, I don't know where this is going and it might lead him to an AFL stint. But yeah, you should pay attention to Valera this year because he has the tools to be a successful fantasy player. It's just they keep kind of falling apart. Yeah, it also strikes me when I'm looking at him that he's just not a Guardians type player. <laughs> yeah, very much so. You're right about that. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, the strikeout rate's too high. It's a, it's a, it's a weird line. Uh, it's not, it's not exactly what you'd expect from a Guardians player. But there was an interesting thing in an interview with Andrew Baggerly, uh, where he talked to Farhan Zaidi and he said, "Hey." Uh, you know, I'm not accusing you of anything, but, you know, you guys have a, a sort of organizational values when it comes to things like controlling the the strike zone and this and that. And um, you look up and you look at this major league team and it's pretty white. You know, is there is there like a, 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 a way that you kind of fall in love with your organizational values in terms of what you're looking for and that those things might be fostered and say like a college environment more than, you know, a different environment. And that's how you end up in this place where, uh, you know, you, you aren't drafting these kinds of players cause they don't, they're not exhibiting these things and you end up being not having a diverse set of approaches in your big league team. And he said, that's the thing that we think about a lot on um, the giants Farhan said, and, and, and it's, I think it's is difficult because you like I've said a lot of times on the show before it was just this, you want to tell your 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 coaches that you believe in something you want to have an approach you want to be like hey we love controlling the strike zone or if you're the guardians we love contact we want contact above everything else and then what happens to George Valera so I wonder what the guardians think internally of George Valera are they excited about him because he's different and he's not necessarily the same as they've all come before. Or are they saying, eh, he doesn't really fit our whole scheme. And like, you know, we'll find time to, if someone gets injured, maybe he gets a shot. You know, like, like I, I don't have a sense of this from the outside. But, you know, I wonder what Valera's stature is within the organization as being a guy who strikes out that much on a team that he loves not he's striking. very highly sought out i mean he's best friends with uh or at least was with brian rocchio those guys have been kind of attached at the hip for a long time a guy who has like half his strike exactly <laughs> yeah you're, you're not wrong about that but he's always been seen as he's had a superstar kind of quality and i think they have seen that in him very high uh, uh he's an interesting story george valera he actually uh grew up in the u.s and his father got in a, like a really bad car accident when he was like 13 or 14. And they had to move to the Dominican Republic because of the cold weather was affecting his father. So he went over to the Dominican Republic and then he was able to sign internationally. So he was a huge high dollar international signing out of the J2 at the time, the J2 class. And he had played, you know, prep ball here and then went over there and he exhibits this. They love it. I think they still love the swing, his ability to walk. I think they feel like they can fix some of the strikeout issues. He's got superstar quality. And I think he's always been seen in that respect. But there has to be a frustration with the amount of time. I mean, literally, my first time talking with George Valera was because he had the Hammett injury and he was missing the championship of the Guardians and the AFL. And we talked for half an hour like he's always hurt. And that's got to change. 
injured both handmates because, as Pablo Sandoval said, no more handmates, <laughs> well, no more problems. I don't know if he has anymore. <laughs> it is. But, like, I think Valera will be a fun story down the road. He's just, like, as a top 100 guy, I think he has easy top 100 prospect uh, return. But I don't think a lot of people are valuing it there because they're like, what are we going to do with the strikeout rates, the batting average rates, and he never plays? But I do think we're going to see him at some point this year, and I will probably be geeking out about it. Got one last question for you guys. And by the way, uh, I don't, my type of player is not the same type of player as the Cleveland Guardians. So (laughs) I would be interested in George Valera. I would acquire George Valera. You like your high strikeouts, your your bad stuff, all that, a load player? Yeah, well, I'd I'd like guys that hit the ball hard. I don't think (laughs) Cleveland really likes guys that hit the ball hard. At least they don't know how to find them. That's that's the problem they're running into right now. I think if I like any approach to acquiring talent, I like the Rays. They acquire guys who hit the ball hard and have a good sense of the zone and make good contact, and they, they do that at the expense of barrels. So sometimes they hit the ball hard on the ground, but it's it, like it still ends up being. Okay. Let's give Valera to the I, Rays, please. Well, you have to hit the ball hard to hit to a barrel. Ever hit the barrel? Hard. Yeah, I think, ever it, hit the barrel. I think it's hard. <laughs> there are ways to hit the ball harder. We know we know that's like a new a newer part of what people can do in the off season. Train with heavier bats. All the different things you can do to increase bat speed, but it's easier to hit the ball in the air more often, comparatively speaking. At least I believe it is than it is to start hitting the ball harder. I think that takes a, a lot more. So yeah, that I, be true. I might, might be why the Rays go that route. Uh, mm-hmm. Is this a window to deal for Jordan Lawler in long-term leagues? He's struggling a bit at double-A. Kind of goes back to last season. He struck out about 30% of the time since arriving there last year. He is very young for the level. We've seen in-game power. We're seeing an efficient base stealer. He's still the long-term shortstop of the future for the D-backs. And I just feel like he's one of those elite of the elite prospects who, because of his initial struggles at double A is actually obtainable in fantasy leagues right now. He's not untouchable. And we're hitting that sweet spot. We're approaching the Memorial day weekend. Everyone starts to get a little antsy this time of year and is willing to make trades. So if you're in a situation where you're playing for the future, there's someone who has Jordan Lawler in your league. Maybe they're playing for now. I actually think you can get something done. Are there any red flags that I'm missing in this profile that would give you pause at this point? What do you think, Welsh? Uh, I mean, the red flag would be the strikeout percentage. Around 32% is a bit of a problem. I actually thought this is something he was going to be able to control as he moved up levels, and it's gotten worse at every single level. Um, he did a really good job in the AFL, but he has literally gone from A ball to 23% strikeout rate up to 31 but I completely agree with you because it's it, since Complex League, it's the highest walk percentage he's had. His ground ball rate is actually the lowest we've seen. His line drive rate is up. And not counting Complex League, it's the highest that it's been. Fly ball rate is up. Um, and he also has an insanely low BABIP. It's like 200. And in the minors, I think he's had an average of around just around three, like 295. So I think there's been a lot of bad luck. There's a really big transitional period of going to double A. That jump from like high A to double A is huge. So I'm worried about the strikeout rate, but I think a lot of other things are still in his favor. He still, you know, can absolutely put 20, 25 in the air. He can absolutely steal 20 to 25. And I think he can be a number three hitter for the Diamondbacks. So we need to see the strikeouts go down. But I'm encouraged that he's not like, you know, hitting a bunch of stuff into the ground. He's still hitting a lot of line drives, actually pulling the ball more than ever. I think it just needs to be an adjustment. So I think uh, I agree with you. It's a great, great time to buy. Do you think that the labrum tear has anything to do with anything? 
Um, I mean, he he I, he he didn't play in 2021 basically because he had labrum surgery. Yeah, but he played like I mean, he played in the AFL. Lat- well, actually, he got hurt again in the AFL, uh, and he missed the kind of like the second the last two thirds of the Arizona fall league. He got some time into last year. He played a ton in spring. Maybe I'm making excuses. I don't feel like it affected Corbin Carroll. Uh, I feel like it's affecting Drew Jones is a little bit more affected by the injuries. He's already had like three injuries off of the big one and he's missing some big developmental time. I think it's like just That's three labrum surgery. I think it's like, yeah, I know it's crazy. I think it's just developmental time of seeing pitches. And I think that's what Jordan Lawler is at. Jordan Lawler is experiencing I think a new group of pitchers that are being attacked. Um, you also have, I, I don't know how much, if there's any, if he's dealing with teams that have that tacked up ball and are getting better grips and stuff like that. You don't really know the full effect of it, but um, I'm going to say no overall. Cause it seems like he's been relatively healthy since. Yeah. I, I think it's good. One of those moves you can, you can make it right now. You can get him right now in a long-term league, but a few months from now, or early next season, it might be a lot harder to trade. Or, any, or he might not even, be a top prospect. I mean, that he's he's at a fulcrum right now. I mean, we're talking about 230, 250 plate appearances of below 100 WRC plus at double A. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to be the, the stinker in the room, but like if he does this for another 200 innings, he's not a prospect. And I think, well, he, he's still a prospect, another but 200, 400 plate appearances. I don't but know. I do agree, like, that's what like you, he has an 80 WRC plus for the year this year in double A. He's not a problem. You need to see it turn and we need to see it turn. Even if I, I would still though say that this, you know, again, it's not linear. Like he could struggle this whole year and we can find and we can rebound from this, but he'll lose but some it would of the change luster. His, his sense. Yeah. And it'll change his, his sense of his. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there being a top 10 or top 20 guy, he'll be a top 50 or top 60 guy. Yeah, but he's still going to play in the big leagues and he's still going to hit for power and steal bases once he gets there. And maybe this is like just way too simple and I'm too simplifying it. But like if I didn't see like an insanely dramatic low BABIP, I might be like a little bit like, yeah, let's sit around and maybe let's see if this gets any better. But like that BABIP, that's going to change. You're not going to have a 200 the whole year. Like he's going to he's going to improve to what level. We don't know. Are the strikeouts going to get any better? Those aren't necessarily correlated, but um. I tend to think when I see like a super low BABIP like that, it's going to bounce back. So I, this is a time I'm with you, D bear. Like I, I think I could pull the trigger right now and not worry too much about more downside or too much more downside. I know what I'm going to be doing this evening when I'm (laughs) stuck on the phone, trying to make moves after feeding the baby. So I've got a plan for my Tuesday night. Nice little Tuesday mm-hmm. in the Van Viper. <laughs> little Jordan Lawler, little Home Depot. Don't know what you got. Fall asleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's all, all, all of the above. Uh, if you want more fun things to do than trying to trade for Jordan Lawler, check out a subscription to The Athletic. $2 a month gets you in the door. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels will actually get you that offer. You can find us all on Twitter. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. Welsh is at Is It The Welsh. I am at Derek Riper. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.